Welcome to the Multitask. This is John. It's boy five. It's boy nine, guys. So even as, even though we talked about it in planning, I'm still not sure where we need to start here. Uh, that last week, I, I don't know if we, I, I, it was too much of a banger for me. I mean, one, who would have thought that we wouldn't know until, what was it, Wednesday of last week, that uh, which party was going to be controlling Congress? Two, Pelosi steps down. Three, Elon basically almost blew, the tw- blew Twitter up. Um, I guess we start with Elon because I, I think so. By the time this podcast airs, some of the other stuff will be a little bit more subtle. We, you know, it's a little bit more timeless. But right now, um, as we record this, we do not know if Twitter will be around by the time this this pod airs. So, what was your reaction to Thursday night's uh potential wake that that was had on on Twitter for 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 the platform? Well, there's, there's a lot here, right, John? We can unpack a bunch. But my first initial feeling was that guy who was who was playing the violin, the Titanic was falling, say, hey, we're going to be shit posted as long as this thing's alive. And it was a top five Twitter. Now. I, I've been on Twitter for the beginning, right? Um, obviously, it's a change. Justine Sacco night was great when she was on that flight to Africa. By the time she landed, she had lost her job and she didn't even know it. There was a lot of great nights on Twitter. A lot of community building on Twitter, right? And this was up there, definitely. Everybody was saying goodbye to each other. It felt like we were all signing each other's yearbooks, the t-shirts as we were graduating. It felt like a great, great night, right? Now, with that being said, I was having a conversation with my brother who uses Twitter a lot. And look, we use Twitter. Twitter is very important. The Arab Spring and the collective mourning when situations happen, like with Kobe dying and stuff like that. Like everyone can communes on Twitter. And I, I, I remember having a thought thinking if I wake up and Twitter's not there, where am I supposed to, where am I supposed to go in the morning? You know what I mean? Where am I supposed to, it feels like we're all in a resort and we're all in separate rooms, but we go down and we have dinner or breakfast together. Right. And so there's this immediate kind of uh, bittersweetness to think of there's nothing like Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, there's nothing like Twitter. So although I was enjoying the memes and, and I'm still disappointed that Elon owns it and we'll see what happens. Right. But uh, my initial thought is how important Twitter is to the culture, to the community, to the world. And if it looks any different within the next three months, if it's not here in the next three months, there's nothing immediately to uh, replace it. And and so I felt a little bit kind of sad about that as, uh, as things were happening. Well, you know, um, it was weird. I don't want to see it go. And, um, uh, you know, one of the things I did during, during the potential, uh, you know, premature wake, we'll call it, but it was close. Uh, it, but, but, uh, is I let folks know how else they could reach me, what my handles were on the other platforms. But I came into a real, uh, realization or, may, or not a realization, a revelation that I shared with you before we started recording tonight. And that's when you think about who some of the investors were in Elon's takeover, Saudi princes, um, Ken Griffin, uh, some, some other people who um, might, while they want to make their money and they're, they're shrewd people, I think those people are just as incentivized or would be just as happy if Twitter went away. So I started thinking is, are some of these people investing in Twitter uh, and Elon's doing the bidding for them? Are they investing in Twitter to literally just take it off the market, right? I mean, realistically, if you're a Saudi prince and you've invested in Twitter, are you in, are you re- are you really sitting here rooting for it to be just a kick-ass platform? Or are you basically trying to have some influence and, 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 and shut down the people who are coming for, coming for the Saudi royal family, right? Uh, I've heard that Ken Griffin, the notorious billionaire from Illinois who's since moved to Florida, I've heard he's an investor. Twitter is consistently dragging him. And so I am starting, and now maybe I'm putting on a tinfoil hat, but, and, and we know, and, and we know how Elon feels about the Twitter audience. Um, so I, I, part of me wonders if there's, and I, I'm not saying this, oh, this is definitely what's happening, but I do wonder if, some of his investors would not be too upset if he actually tanked the platform as opposed to saved the platform. 
John, I don't think what you're saying is tinfoil hat material. I think it's pretty sane. It's pretty logical to me. Look, when he he's made it clear, in my opinion, I'm not an expert. I'm certainly not a, a business manager. I don't know code. I don't know how Twitter really runs. But this is how you would tank a company if you wrote a script to how to tank a company. It's pretty clear to me, right? Get rid of the advertisers. Get rid of the money. Get rid of your staff. He lost like 85% of the staff after he cut another 35% of the staff, right? So it's kind of ridiculous. Um, now, I think he thinks that he's so good and such a genius that he could streamline the back end, get rid of like the, the offices and he got rid of the food and the cafeteria, whatever, right? It was like $4 million a day or a year, whatever it was to keep up with the food. Um, he thinks if he could cut costs, streamline it, that it'll be self-sufficient enough then to start making money again. Um, I just, I just don't know enough to know if that's possible or not. What you're saying is accurate to me. It's pretty clear to me. I've said this before, but Trump getting into the race in, in 2016 uh, because Barack made fun of him back at the correspondence dinner. This is what Elon is doing here is he was tired of people making fun of him. He bought Twitter to tank it in the way to bring back Trump, to bring back a lot of these right wing voices. He has a vendetta against journalism. He has a vendetta against people who tell the truth, who make fun of him. And so at the end of the day, I think that's the motive. I don't think money's the motive. You could spend a lot, $44 billion on other things if you wanted to waste it. I just think he's out for revenge. And, and I don't know what that looks like for him, if he completely tanks it or if he just completely makes it like Reddit or 4chan and it becomes unusable. Um, but we'll see. But I, I, I think you're on to the motive part of it. Well, and, and here's the thing. Um one of the things I realized about his um, purchase and about what even happened with the potential meltdown, I'm not too concerned about Twitter physically being here. The man is worth more money than God, even in this weirdly weird state. He can afford the best talent money will buy. And while a lot of legacy Twitter people may walk out the door, I'm sure that uh, as as long as he every day, he's also able to attract some of the most talented people who have who are going to go to him, who are the highest bit, you know, will go to him as, as long as he pays them handsomely. I'm less concerned about Twitter staying up and running. I'm more concerned about the quality control of Twitter. Uh, I think that's going to be the bigger thing. I I realize, or at least at least in my opinion. Even if it were to go down, I think it's back. I think it comes back. I think that he's got too much money and there's too many talented people out there who would uh, who have no morals and will just literally work for the highest bidder. So I don't think we'll ever lose the platform. I'm just really concerned about the quality of the platform. That's interesting. Um, I also think he believes that uh, this this happened with with Jack and Blue Sky, and there's some inklings that they want to make Twitter similar to TikTok in the way that the algorithm works, where um, you get to control what's on your timeline. So you might not see the right wing stuff that you're worried about as much as it exists in two different worlds, right? There's, for instance, my TikTok is like sports stuff and and all this other stuff, right? And then there's another side of TikTok. Someone's timeline is completely MAGA and completely right-wing Nazis, right? Um, and I think he's trying to get to the point where both those people could have the same experience on Twitter and they don't necessarily have to interact with each other. I don't know if that's possible. I don't know if that's even a goal that um, is achievable, right? But I'm, I'm actually not so worried about that because obviously we're in different positions and I think a lot of Black people uh, on different platforms have to deal with it differently than other people for sure. Um, I just think that's always been there. It's always going to be there. I listen to people talk about all the time, flagging comments, racial comments that never get taken down anyways. Sure. Trump was deplatformed. Jordan Peterson, a lot of anti-vaxxers were deplatformed, but I'm not so concerned about that personally, because I think at least I can police my own timeline as much as possible. If, if there is just a public square that I could show up to and, and, have a community, I'd much rather have that than um, than not. So that's kind of where I kind of lay on that. What's funny is I joined Mastodon and I was jokingly wondering, um, you know, as we think about black Twitter, 
By the way, uh, I'm doing a sidebar. Um, if you haven't caught on to it, uh, this past week, one of the best uh, trending topics on Black Twitter was whether or not Carrie Lake was a black woman passing. And 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 I actually, as a as a light, bright, damn near person myself, um, uh, I I really enjoyed it. But that being said, I've wondered: is there going to be if, if if Twitter crashes and everybody's going over to Mastodon, will there be such thing as Black Mastodon? It just doesn't it just doesn't hit the same way that Black Twitter does. But Black Mastodon is something that uh, we might have to get used to. Um, I do wonder, though, has there, I won't say damage, but do you think that, and I know the people on the right went into Parler and some of these other, and, and, and True Social for different reasons, then we are potentially going to Mastodon and others, but do you think that because of some of the uncertainty, both with the future of the platform and, too, with some of the quality concerns, do you think that the the platforms that are very similar to Twitter may not dethrone Twitter, but will become regular viable alternatives? Where even, let's just say you and I, because I don't think everybody's even Twitter, but might we go ahead and build community in a couple other platforms? So one... Some of us are seeing those platforms as alternatives. I think Twitter will always be here. But could you see where, okay, let's just say that right now your breakdown is 60% Twitter, 20% Facebook, 20% Instagram. Could you see where going forward it might be down to 40% Twitter and you now bring in a Mastodon or a different or whatever your platform of choice? Do you think that? even if Twitter survives, that its market share has been, will be forever harmed because we are, we will look to some of these other platforms and build community, maybe not replicate, but enhance or supplement. I mean, what, what, what is your thinking as relates to, is Twitter, is Twitter permanently changed as relates to its market share and are people more open to some of these secondary platforms now? Uh, it's a good question. I, I think the general feeling I have is build it and people will come. I think people use Twitter um, for valid reasons. And I think when Twitter is no longer available, they're going to want that same need fulfilled. So so I think alternative, the reason I joined Mastodon was because I thought Twitter was going to go away. I, I don't want to necessarily leave Twitter uh, if I had a choice, but I just thought Twitter would no longer cease to exist. So that's why I went away. I, I also don't think Mastodon's the answer, right? I think there's, uh, to answer your question, I, I think as long as Twitter is this volatile, it's unsustainable. And so maybe Musk turns it around and it becomes low key and he doesn't, it's self-sufficient. Obviously this is his first kind of month, right? But if it becomes like self-sufficient, Musk isn't the headline every single day, um, then I think it could survive. But it's if it's this volatile, it's, it's just unsustainable, right? We saw that with Trump where it just becomes too much. Um, with that being said, I think there's people right now, uh, I sent you a couple of people who are working on things, Mastodon's working on things. Um, I don't know if you saw this, there was a viral thread, Mastodon's CEO is like the anti-Elon, the anti-Trump. And so people are, are getting a kick out of him because he seems to be uh, an ally in that sense. But I guess what I'm trying to say is there's people shifting right now to replace Twitter and I think as long as Twitter's this volatile, those people will have markets. Um, if Twitter turns it around and becomes um, less volatile and more safe, then I think those other alternatives might not be uh, as viable, if that makes sense. Yeah, but I guess my question is, do you think, though, especially if it is a little bit, say the Twitter, un Twitter, un the Twitter uncertainty lasts for a while, and we start getting a little bit more comfortable with some of those other platforms. As I said, it's kind of like Facebook, right? Facebook was where we all went before Twitter. And and we did we really leave uh, Facebook for Twitter? Or did we just now have another alternative? So when I gave you that 60-20-20, you know, 60% Twitter, 
uh, 20% Facebook, 20% Instagram. Um, could somebody, could Twitter still be there and still be pulling a large market share, but you now, instead of having your, you know, and don't forget, uh, I know you're now more active on TikTok. I'm just saying that will once this thing is over and let's say Twitter survives, will your Twitter percentage still be the same or might there be one other platform like a Mastodon or something else that now, even if it's only used at five or 10%, I'm not sure what you consider your TikTok usage is, right? Could, could you see a scenario where, yeah, you're still going to spend a significant amount of time on Twitter, but instead of the 60%, it's going to just only be 40% going forward. Could you see that? Or, or, or would you probably go back to full, full uh, Twitter usage? Yeah, me personally, I'm going to stay at where I'm at now only because I think I understand your Facebook Twitter analogy, but the difference is that Facebook just doesn't do what Twitter does. Twitter provides you a service that no other app does. For instance, when I started using TikTok more, Instagram was trying to copy TikTok. So Instagram and TikTok was the same service. I no longer, my Instagram usage dropped because TikTok, Instagram just became reused old TikToks and people were posting that, right? Facebook, um, wait, wait, wait. Someone, said, so, someone said, if Twitter crashes, I won't know who to follow on TikTok. Someone said. 1,000%, 1,000%, right? So that's my point is if something comes along that gives you the service of Twitter, then I can picture my Twitter uh, usage dropping. But right now that it doesn't exist. But, but what I'm about, what about, time. but no, the question though is, I'm not talking about giving the service of Twitter is it going to be, might there be something on another alternative platform that that's, gives that's you something say, it yeah. doesn't give you? Yeah, so I think here's, here's if somebody was really smart out there, I'm sure this person exists already. I, don't, I personally don't think Mastodon is the ultimate solution here, right? It's just a little confusing for me. Um, someone out there can be building a platform, but the key is going to be this. Can you translate, can you connect Twitter to this platform so you can get your old tweets? Can you can you get, like, see who you're following on Twitter, follow them on this new platform? Whoever kind of, whoever takes all the good from Twitter, puts it on their app, and then changes it and makes the changes that we want to make on Twitter, um, that's where I can see me switching over because... Yeah, for right now, I guess there is no alternative to Twitter, so my Twitter usage is basically going to be the same. But I wish there's somebody out there who could who could like when I went to Mastodon, I didn't know who my Twitter followers were or Twitter fo- like who I'm following. So I had to go and search all of them and see who's on Mastodon. If somebody could build an algorithm or code that makes makes that easier, um, I, I think they're going to be first ones in the market who could who could steal a lot of that Twitter market. I wish, I mean, because obviously everyone's got to keep people on their platforms for advertising dollars, but I still long for, and I'm not sure if you remember this, and we've talked about this before, but I still long for those days when Twitter and Instagram played together really fucking well, right? You remember when, when you would post an Instagram post and it would be it would be an embed on, on, on your Twitter timeline. Um, but I think right now too many people need to keep people on, you know, on their on their platform in their environment, right? But I really, I would love to see that. I'd love to see, because wouldn't you say, what, what was it about, maybe six years ago, seven years ago, where a lot of platforms played well with one another. They still do okay, but there was a seamlessness that I just thought was there. But if you and I, we both understand the way that uh, social media makes its money, and they had to be a lot more proprietary. But I do think, I wish we could return to that, right, where there was just such great connection of how, how that goes. But the other thing going to Macedon, I agree with you in, as you know, I just remember I joined and you're like, well, how do you join? And you're like, which server? I'm like, what do you mean which server? You know, it was, it it was, it it was good. But, you know, I think I told you, and I have to send you the test. Um, In addition to Macedon, Chris Boozy's doing something just so you know, my, my, my Twitter click is really anti Boozy right now because they think he's taking too much credit for stuff. Uh, so, yeah. so right, so right now I feel like I'd be betraying some of my good Twitter friends if, if I went to Boozy's <laughs> platform, but you know, Maya's launching a platform as well. So I got to send you the, uh, the invite for that. Um, 
but but to your point, one, any platform has to figure out its space and realize they want to capture the fact that there's a lot of people getting nervous and wanting to leave Twitter, but they also have to understand if Twitter doesn't sink, your your whole business model can't be based upon Twitter's failure. And I think that's the key. It's got to be something that's out there that fits into the universe to where even if Twitter rebounds, people would still want to use your platform in some manner. Yeah, I agree. I also think there's a little bit of opportunity for Elon here. And here's what I'll say to Elon is, I think people, I think he thinks that people don't want to pay $8, but I, I people don't want to pay $8 for a blue check because the blue check wasn't there for any sort of social class. It was there just to be verified, right? That's what the word verified means, right? This person is who, say, who they say they are, right? I think people don't care about that as much. Um, but if if Elon made a paid version of Twitter, here, here's what I'll tell you, John. I don't know how you feel. You can answer it. I would happily pay $100 a year, a year for Twitter for three simple things. Allow me to not see a single ad on the platform. That's one. Two, get rid of anything that has to do with Twitter spaces or anything that's just not my timeline. And three, always, always keep Twitter in uh, chronological order because that could get wonky at times. I would happily pay $100 a year for that because I use Twitter that much and that's serviceable to me. I don't want to see every ad, every other tweet, right? Elon had an opportunity just to build that and he just thinks people don't want to pay it. I just think he's just... Um, pushing back on the verified and the official and that whole thing was a mess. So I guess what I'm saying is I would still pay for Twitter if they just made it what I wanted it to make personally. If I could personalize it for myself, I don't know where you stand on that, but there's there's still money to be made here. I just think he's overthinking it on some level. Well, it's there's money to be made, but I also think, um, like for instance, I'm not a big fan of Twitter Blue. Look, I manage a verified account and it's, a, it's an account that was verified strictly because of where that person's stature is in life. And I definitely, you know what's so funny? I don't mind verifying people, but I do think that there needs to be a distinction between um, this is a person of significant rapport, and you could never buy that. You could never buy that. You can only earn it through whatever you do. And this is a person who, this is John. And, and because I also... Here's the thing. Part of the reason why I wouldn't want to even do Twitter Blue right now, and maybe this is just me being me, I wouldn't want to look like I fronted to buy status. I would I would pay or do what I needed to do to say, yes, this is John Moore, and, and some level of verification. But the thing is, um, and you know what was funny, and I meant to point this out to you, when that one person tweeted, and they were a blue check that Elon was looking for a CEO. And you realize that that was someone on subscription. And that immediately, immediately made me question the veracity and source of uh, of that piece. And so right now, Twitter's... Look, if you and I, without checks, said something that was true, but semi-outrageous, we'd have a lot more credibility. If you and I, with a paid-for check that people could tell was paid for, because all you have to do is click on it, if we put something out there that was true but un- unbelievable, we have one of the bought blue checks, would you be less likely to believe it? I mean, I think we actually have more credibility right now without checks than 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 uh, paid-for blue checks have at this point. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. I think I've seen a lot of those blue checks nowadays with just nobodies. Um, it, it came to a it came to a head, right? With Kyle the, Rittenhouse. Kyle Rittenhouse bought one. I'm talking even less than Kyle Rittenhouse. Kyle Rittenhouse at least is a known name, right? Um, but it came to a head with the the football team that that school shooting with the football team. The footballers were looking for the verified accounts of the school and the security to figure out what to do, and they couldn't trust the information that was coming to them because there was people with blue checks who they didn't trust, right? So this is the downside of the whole thing, right? I agree. If, if he could distinguish the difference between this is a verified public figure 
or account or journalist between this person who's paying for Twitter Blue. I don't know how you do that. I know they were trying to do the official versus verified and it just got super confusing. Um, yeah, but I agree. I just think it, it, it becomes now that if you pay for a verification, then you're kind of a loser and everybody's going to laugh at you, unfortunately. It's just how it goes, you know? Exactly. Well, you know, we need to uh, let Elon, we don't know what Twitter's status will be as this, as this pot airs, but one of the things that we do know uh, this past week, Nancy Pelosi, well, and I'm going to, I'm going to, fra- I'm going to give you some very interesting framing. Nancy Pelosi stepped down as, uh, well, that didn't step down, indicated she's not going to run for re-election as a Democratic leader. Um, understand that at this point, uh, Nancy Pelosi is still the speaker. The Democrats still have the majority through the end of the year. But what there are, what the Republicans just had an election for, and the Democrats will soon, is not for speaker, but who is going to lead their party in the next series, in the next piece. But I want to ask you a question. When you look at the way, one, Pelosi left, the great speech she got, the reaction, and I do think the excitement, one, the celebration of what Pelosi and Hoyer and Clyburn did, but also the excitement about Akeem Jeffries, Kathleen Clark, and Pete Aguilar coming and taking over. Um, if I didn't know better, and, and if you look at how the Republicans are fighting and just angry, wouldn't you have thought that the Democrats were the one who won two weeks ago as opposed to Republicans? Because it seems like the party that lost power or lost the majority is, is, is a lot more happier than the party that actually won. Well, John, we did win. We kept the Senate and we kept the decent size of the House. Uh, we won a lot of governorships. We did win, right? Also, uh, as we know, because we've been paying attention, this was always kind of the plan. I think if we did win the House, I think Nancy would also step back and allowed um, the new leadership to come in. So this was kind of always the plan. Um, also, the Republicans are power hungry. So as soon as there's a power vacuum, you see what you see now. Andy Biggs coming out today and saying, I'm not voting for him. Matt Gates, right? And so I think just as, and we'll talk about Pelosi in a second, but I think just as Obama says in, in, in 2016, he says, one of my biggest regrets is not helping more to get Hillary. He, he tried, but Hillary not being elected affected his legacy just as much as anything else. And I think Pelosi being able to not groom, but, but kind of see from afar who's, who's next up and pass the torch to them in a, in a much healthier way than the Republicans are doing. I think that's going to help her legacy even more because now Hakeem Jeffries, although he'll stand on his own, um, is always going to be tied to Nancy in the best way. And I think, that also helps her legacy, if that makes any sense. Right. And I'll tell you this before we go to Nancy. Let's talk about the situation. And um, I got a hypothesis that I want to run past you. And I may have shared it with you. And I've, I've said it, shared it with some folks. Um, again, I do not. There's It never is good to be in a minority. And it's going to suck watching uh, Kevin McCarthy take the, take the um, whatever it is the um, gavel gavel um but i'm gonna and, and you have to understand i'm big team akeem I'm, I'm 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 a huge team akeem person and a huge fan and i know that he's got a few uh ankle biters on the left who hate him and uh if the dims had taken over the leadership uh you see the stuff that marjorie taylor green is pulling with kevin mccarthy I know that AOC and Cory Bush and some of those others probably be pulling the same thing with, with Akeem. And I wonder, especially as the leader, is it better for Hakeem to come in in a very in, in the minority with a very, you know, slim margin? Because I think he gets to cook. I think he I think if we I think if I think if we had a 219, 220, 221 uh uh uh, majority in the House, he would have been tight. He would have been risk averse. He would have had to do things. I think that in many ways, he's kind of freed up to play. He's freed up to do. And because we know what happened and Bobert finally won, we know that the, that there's two races in Arizona that we lost that, you know, we could probably, we're going to be viable in, in those districts. Put it this way, even in districts we lost, we all, we're in a great position to take them back or win them outright in 2024, I think that 
I think that the whole time Hakeem or if Pelosi had stayed, would have been looking over the shoulder the entire time. And and would they have done enough to hold the house in 24? I think that because they're in a minority, they might be in a position to have a more substantive victory in 24. Do you get where I'm going with that? What are your thoughts on, on, the, on that assessment of the situation? I, I, you use words that I was going to use. And, and I'll use a sports analogy when sometimes we'll, we'll call it open the playbook up. That means like if you're the underdog and you've got no chance against this team, then just open it up. Let it fly. Let it rain. You can call what you want to call. Um, nobody, nobody is going to look bad against you because you're trying to win games, right? Um, and that way, I think Hakeem's at an advantage for that. And I also think Hakeem's at an advantage for this. The Republicans are going after culture wars. And so Democrats don't usually follow in that sense. So Hakeem doesn't necessarily have to worry about Republicans because they're going to make fools out of themselves. He just has to push the, 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 the caucus forward. He just he has to focus on what Democrats have done, what they're going to do, and, and focus on the important things, right? I guess what I'm saying is the Republicans are playing a game that the Democrats aren't playing. And so because they're playing a different game, which is dirty and evil and all that stuff, he could focus on uh, the important thing. So I, I agree with your analysis. It's I look, there's a reason that when you come in, you want like, look at Lee Elon, look at a new coach in football, right? When you come in, you want to change things. You want to do things your way. And I think it's easier to do that when you're still on the come up, as opposed to, Hey, you have a majority, you have to pass legislation. You have to worry about things. And Hakeem is not going to have to necessarily worry about that stuff. He can focus on building it his way. Um, also, he has people to lean on. Nancy's still going to be a congresswoman. She's still going to be right there. Clyburn's going to be right there, right? Not that he's going to use them, but I guess what I'm saying is he's, he still has those people who are going to push him and be behind his back as opposed to being on, on, on an island. So I agree with you. And, and I just think that going into 24, because first and foremost, I think we may have covered this with Brendan uh, last week. I think that because there's always that knowledge that the party in power is going to lose seats at the midterm, most presidents probably set their agenda for the first two years, right? I think even in the majority, I'm not sure if we would have picked up that. Maybe John Lewis, you know, there's there's a few things we might have moved the ball on, especially with the increased, hopefully increased margin in the Senate. But I really don't think that we were ever going to get a lot done in the the second two years of Biden's first term. But I also think that, would you agree, if we were the party in power right now, don't you think that instead of playing to win, we'd be playing not to lose, and that's how you really screw up? I think I think that we are in a much better position for 24 today in the minority with a slim margin than we would have been if we were in the majority with a slim margin. I, I don't know if you agree with that, but I think that going into 24, I feel better because we would have just been tight and playing not to lose, and that's how you lose games. I, I completely agree. Look, if Biden's going to run, all indications are he is, that's going to happen soon enough, right? Trump's already announced, um, and Biden already said that if he does announce, it'll be January, February. I think he said after the holidays, he'll sit down with his family and make a decision. So once campaign season hits, uh, you're not going to get much done. So I, so I agree. I also think, John, we didn't talk about this last week with Brendan much, but look, do I want – did I want to win the House? Absolutely. Do I think it's it's devastating that the Republicans won? Absolutely. But I'm a little silver lining here. I think they're going to make such a mess. The Hunter Biden stuff, all that stuff is going to be good for Democrats in 2024. Trump on the ballot is going to be good for Democrats in 2024. Um, and so in that sense, we could give Hakeem two years to kind of get his footing in, hopefully win back the House in 24, hopefully keep the Senate, although we'll talk about that a little bit later. It looks a little shaky. And then hopefully win the, the White House and then gives Hakeem a chance to now build a majority and then hit the ground running um, with those first two years. But I agree. You're really going to start campaigning for 2024 soon enough. And um, they probably would not get done much yet. Well, and, and, and the one thing, though, too, um, that I think will make a difference for Dems 
or really more importantly make a difference for Hakeem is, as we said before, you got he's got a left flank that I think was preparing to cause him more trouble uh, than would have been worth it, just like um, Kevin McCarthy has. And as I told you before, when you just, you know, to win the caucus, to become minority leader or Democratic leader at this point, is you just need 50% plus one, um, 51% plus one of your caucus. He was, he was, and you know how it is right now. We know that McCarthy got his, what he needed. One of the things that I think helps Hakeem is if we had been in a close majority, um, he would have had to bend over backwards to make certain people happy to win, i.e. what Kevin McCarthy's having to do. And then on top of that, when you think about it, is McCarthy right now is is 30, 30 votes shy. And there's a real possibility, and you and I have read this in some spaces, that you could conceivably have a situation where um, a moderate Republican may be able to say to the Dems, look, uh, here's three things I'm not going to do. And here, wait, first of all, here's seven moderate Republicans who agree with me. Now, I'm going to still be loyal to Republican vows and everything, but I'm not going to investigate Hunter Biden. I'm not going to do this. And the entire Democratic caucus votes for that person. Then Kevin McCarthy is not the, is not the speaker, right? Uh, so I say it all to say that I do think that, oh, if Hakeem, by being a minority, plays an instrumental role in the Dems taking back the House, and not only do they take back the House, but take back the House with enough seats so that the AOCs of the world can't wreak havoc on him, he's in a much solid position because he can literally say, look, I brought us back to the majority. Under my stewardship, under my leadership, we're back in the majority, and we're back in the majority comfortably. Elect me your speaker. John, I have a procedural question for you while we're on the topic. What happens, let's say McCarthy is the speaker, how easy it is it? How easy is it to get rid of him? Like, let's say Marge just hates him. Bobert hates him. What's the what's the procedure there? I don't know, but I'm I'm gonna speculate, and I'll give you a generic speculation. I would assume that there is some type of situation where you have to have X amount of people call for another election. I don't know what that threshold is. Also, and I'm sure it's probably twofold. If there's a change in the majority now, it looks like it's going to be what maybe five seven votes five seven people. If it uh, if if it was a smaller percentage, you know there was a really you know if it was that two eighteen to two seventeen that some of us thought we might have, uh, you literally could be going back and forth to where you'd have a new speaker, new majority every other week based upon deaths, illnesses, and indictments. But that being said, um, if there's no shakeup as relates to the shifting of power. I still believe that it's possible, I believe, I don't know for sure, but I, I'm assuming that it would have to probably be some level of a, um, you know, you need X amount of people to call for the, to do a recall or something. I don't know for sure, but I'm sure that's, I, I'm assuming that's how it would play out. Yeah, the only reason I ask, I've seen uh, MTG talk about, um, we're going to give McCarthy a chance, and if he doesn't do what we do, we're just going to replace him anyway. So, so I think that's always a possibility as well. But let's let's pivot a little bit to Pelosi. Let's talk about her for a second. I, I have a question for you to, to prompt it. Outside of Kamala, and we we I think she has to be first, obviously, because she's the vice president. And I don't want to reg- regulate like men, women. I don't want to necessarily compare them. But is Pelosi the second greatest woman politician in this country's history? Like Hillary is up there. Certainly, she came closest to the gavel. Kamala has to be number one. Obviously, she's the one who holds the highest uh, office ever. But to look at what Pelosi's done, first uh, woman speaker of the House, she impeached Trump twice. Historic legislation, the Health Care Act with, with Barack, all the legislation with Biden. She talked about George Bush legislation as well. Um, can you name anybody else other than Kamala, maybe? Right. But here's the thing, and this is where I will reframe the question. Um there's a difference between the executive branch and legislative branch. I will give you a better way to say that she's the best female politician. In the lane that she plays, the world that she lives in, the House of Representatives, 
she is hands down without any question the best speaker there ever was. And that's not a gendered question. That's literally, so I mean, because the problem with saying the best female politician, one, that isolates them to, you know, regulate them to gender, but two, we're also, in many cases, comparing apples to oranges. But if you look strictly at the House of Representatives, hands down, there's never been a better speaker. She, 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 she was the first woman. And this is what's you know, always interesting. We always talk about this with people who are the first. She's the first woman, but she's also, regardless of gender, the best House speaker there has ever been. What she's done, what's really been effective, you'll love this. I was in class yesterday, and it was me. Uh, you know, first of all, I'm Generation X, but of course, because I'm older, my students just call me a boomer. Um, but th th they were arguing with me about uh, Biden and age and everything. And I said, look, you can go ahead and want younger folks. I said, but between Biden, Schumer, and Pelosi, all north of the age of 75, uh, they've had the most effective two years. And, and, and you and I both know how much we love our boy Barack. And the only thing that even comes close to these two years was when it was Barack, Reed, and Pelosi. But what's the equation? In both cases, Pelosi was at the table. The most effective, the most significant changes in the last 20, 30 years in Congress have come at the hands of Nancy Pelosi. Yeah, 1,000%. And I, I didn't mean to pose it as a woman. That's why I was trying to disclaim it. I didn't want to necessarily pose it as a woman versus man thing. I just think the first woman president or Kamala, the first, obviously, woman vice president, um, I, I just think there's more, obviously, unfortunately, there's more ground to break. I think Hillary deservingly should have had it in 2016, uh, unfortunately, uh, with everything that happened. So I didn't mean to regulate Pelosi to just a woman. She clearly is the greatest speaker that ever uh, was. Obviously, I don't know every speaker, but j just impeaching Trump twice is such a remarkable feat. Uh, healthcare and climate change and infrastructure, um, DACA, like just just the hands and, and just what she's been involved with is not many people have that resume. If not, not many people have that resume, like just bar none, right? Um, to to do it in a bla trailblazing fashion, to do it, um, to do it with really the last seven years of just harassment from the right, right? They made her villain number one. Uh, her husband was attacked. There was an assassination. There was two assassination attempts on her life, John. There's January 6th and then the Paul Pelosi attack, which was for her, like, to do that despite all that. It wasn't like, you know, it's interesting. I saw a video of, of Jim Boehner giving her the gavel they hugged and they, they kissed on the cheek and it was celebratory. Republicans are standing up and now she's become kind of villain number one. So to do that, despite all that is, is just remarkable. So kudos to her, a, a hell of a career. She earned this moment. I'm glad that everybody gave her that standing ovation. I couldn't really see if Republican, I saw Republicans kind of standing and clapping, but um, we know how that, that can go. So yeah, I, I, I agree. She's, she's been a remarkable. She's had a remarkable career. Well, I think the other thing, though, too, is I'm glad she stepped aside. Now, I will not pretend to know exactly how the transition of power will play out. If um, Because don't forget, um, it's going to technically be, there's at least two candidates. It's going to be McCarthy against Hakeem. Um, that's unless there's a third candidate, which the, that, you know, is that compromise between a handful of moderate Republicans in the entire Democratic caucus. That being said, I don't think she will have to suffer through the indignity of handing the gavel over to McCarthy. Maybe she will because she's the last speaker, but I'm not sure if she, I'm not sure if that's how it will go. I don't want I really don't want to see that. I I think that they have been outrageously disrespectful to her. I don't want her to have to suffer the indignity of that, but um, McC McCarthy said he would take the gavel and hit her with it. Right, right. Um, you know, I I really don't know how that's going to go, how that's going to play out. But wow, you know. But let's talk about it. You know, McCarthy is having to beg, borrow, and steal to become the speaker. He's having to cut deals with MTG. Uh, and you, as you saw uh, earlier last week or this past week, 
Um, they had a press conference talking about all the investigations and now they're going to investigate Hunter Biden. Um, what, what, what are your thoughts about, one, uh, what we've been hearing McCarthy's having to do to actually become the speaker, and two, about the agenda that the Republican, at least Republican incoming committee chairs have basically told us is going to happen? First of all, not surprised because we knew this was coming the whole time. That's my first thought. Two, my second thought is bring it because I believe this helps Democrats in 24. I don't want to make it political, but it is political, right? Hunter Biden investigation nobody cares about. Going after Fauci, who's beloved across the country. All that stuff to me personally is going to backfire against Democrats. MTG might be in a safe seat, but we see Boebert is not in a safe seat anymore. A lot of these people are in the super safe seats. So um, I'm, I'm welcoming those investigations because uh, um, I think it's beneficial to us and the ballot box. Third, because of the slim majority, here's what I'll say, John. I could be totally wrong here. I'm be, maybe I'm being naive. I do think there will be investigations on Hunter and Fauci in the January 6th stuff. I, I think there won't be any impeachments. And I, I'm, maybe I'm being dumb and maybe I'm being naive, but I think they're going to – it's not that I think they'll choose their battles wisely. I just think, look, these, these guys aren't that smart. Like they're just not that good at governing. They're not that good at running their own house. Um, I think it's going to be a complete uh, disaster. So I just don't think they're efficient enough or smart enough to necessarily do everything. I think they're going to throw a lot of stuff at the wall. And I think um, they're going to see what sticks. But I don't expect two years full of um, impeachment and stuff like that. I think it'll be a disaster. But... um, I don't know. Do you think I'm naive? I, I just don't see them completely uh, going after it because they're just not that good. Like th- these are the same people who Matt Gates who did crimes on Venmo, right? These are the same people who couldn't get when Trump Trump had the House and he had the Senate, and they couldn't get the Health Care uh, Act um, uh, recalled or whatever, right? They couldn't overturn it, right? So I, I just think they're not that good. They're not that smart, and especially McCarthy. And so I think he's going to just have to deal with the right-wing caucus the entire time. I don't know. What do you think? <clears throat> McCarthy's between a rock and a hard place. And I I think that when we think about the people that he, he's had to sell his soul to the devil to potentially become speaker, not even become speaker, but potentially become speaker. Um, And I think that there is so much, I think his speakership is going to be tarnished. I don't think there's any question about it. I think that if I'm a moderate Republican, and I'm not talking about Adam Kinzer, I'm talking about the ones that got elected. Now, think about this, too. Um, we know Sean Patrick Maloney lost. We know Boebert, while she's still crazy, if she wants to keep her job, she's going to have to become a lot more moderate. We know that we were two seats in Arizona that we almost picked up. Almost the entire New York delegation was there on a whim. They can't afford for the party to go too far to the right. And with if that's the case, if they can't afford for the party to go too far to the right, then <laughs> they're going to have some problems. They, they are going to have some severe problems because, I don't know, it's... it's McCarthy, and maybe it is, it goes back to what we said earlier. This is why, in my opinion, the Democrats are in a much better space than Republicans. Yeah, they lost, but the, but they weren't supposed to, they weren't supposed to win anyways, and they performed. It, it's like right now, how, we, how, how would Bears fans feel? We've not won the last two games, but God damn it, Justin Fields is looking good as hell. And so, even though We'd like to put up a few more W's. It's fun and exciting watching Justin Fields. And even if they don't win anything else, as long as Justin gives us reason to be hopeful for next year, that's how I feel about the Democrats, right? Whereas as, as whereas the Republicans aren't the Green Bay Packers, the Republicans are probably what, – what's the team right now that is still winning but – The Lions. No, no, not the Lions because they're, 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 you know, they're not supposed to win, but um, – a team. So, what type of season is uh, Tampa Bay having? You know, a team that was supposed to just be very dominant. They're still in the hunt. They're still leading, 
but damn it. Oh, oh, you know what? Let's let me go. Let me downgrade. I know you're not a college football fan. The Republicans are Alabama. Alabama's seven and two. Most teams would be killed to be seven and two, but they're playing like crap. They're still winning, but they're playing like crap, right? Um, whereas I think that's the thing is, even though uh, the Republicans won, they they've got so many more problems. I mean, I do really think that when you have Ilhan Omar coming out and saying, "Damn it, Hakeem's my boy." Uh, you know, I don't think it's realistic to get uh, AOC in that camp, but it seems like Hakeem's going to have a unified party, at least on the surface, a unified party. McCarthy doesn't have that. Well, I'll take it a step further, John. I'll give you a better team. I'll give you a better analogy. The Republicans are the Dallas Cowboys. They think they're America's team. They think everybody's rooting for them or everyone's rooting against them, really. And sometimes they perform well, but they always craft a bed in the playoffs. And that's what the Republicans are. And here's the best part of that. Whether they win, whether they lose, whether they're relevant or not, ESPN will always be talking about them. And that's the same thing with the news media is they will always be the headline as Republicans. So I totally, I totally get what you're saying. Um, I, I agree. The Justin Fields analogy, all that stuff I completely agree with. Um, look, John, we had a historic midterm. Like, and we've had 2018, 2020, the Georgia runoffs, and now this of just complete Democrats continue to buck uh, tradition and continue to win elections. And I'm excited about 2024. I really am. I'm I'm bullish on the idea that Biden um, will lose the Trump or DeSantis. Look, it's hard to beat an incumbent president. Uh, not that we're not talking about 24 already. I'm just saying it's hard to beat an incumbent president, especially one that buck tradition and, and did well in the midterms who's accomplished a lot and so um i'm excited and i just don't think republicans are excited the last two weeks all i've heard is mccarthy sucks mcconnell sucks trump sucks and their whole leadership sucks think about it john barack was on the campaign trail michelle was on the campaign trail uh clinton stayed away a little bit i think bill has some health issues and hillary obviously will show up when you want her to um Jimmy Carter obviously is not able to necessarily do that, but Republicans don't do that. Trump, a lot of people didn't want Trump on the campaign trail. They certainly, George Bush has been disappeared since 2008. Um, it's, it's, it's much better to be on this side and that side for sure. Yeah. It's, you know, it's going to be a thing, you know, uh, one of the other things that happened as the week closed out was Merrick Garland. Well, let's start out. We could talk about Merrick Garland, but let's go back to Tuesday. On Tuesday, Donald Trump announced he's going to run for president. We all know that. It was embarrassing. His kids weren't even there. Uh, and they had to lock people in the room. Uh, but then we fast forward to Friday. And Merrick Garland, because Trump is now a presidential candidate, and because Merrick Garland, as you and I talked about online, um, he doesn't do what's best politically. He does what he, what he truly feels in his, in his own personal ethics is the right thing. He appointed a special prosecutor. And, you know, as some people have said, I'm not sure if you've seen it, um, I think what some people who uh, don't think, who aren't happy that he did it should take comfort in is that this he's not hiring a special prosecutor to kill the case, meaning that they're pretty damn close to an indictment and they you don't hire a special prosecutor to come in and look at everything and say, ah, we're not going to do it. So... What was your reaction to the news uh, that, one, Trump is running for president, two, they tried to lock people in the room, and three, a special prosecutor has been appointed? Yeah, so all this is obviously connected. I, I Obviously, Trump stuff was happening. It was, it was uh, not a surprise. I will say this, John. I'm pushing back on all of this talk that Republicans don't want him to run. I think he's clearly the favorite. I think he'll blow DeSantis out of the water in a primary I do not think that Republicans will stay away from him. Look, John, they've done this so many times. They hated him during the primary, the first go-around in 2016, and then they all backed him. Lindsey Graham said he was the worst candidate ever. Paul Ryan, McCarthy, said he was paid by Russia. Um, they all hated him. Ted Cruz hated him. Marco Rubio hated him. And now they're all trying to sh – and then they shied away, and then now they got back on his track. He became president. They loved him. Lindsey Graham said he was the greatest president in American history. And then January 6th happens. 
and McCarthy calls him out on the House floor. Lindsey Graham says, enough is enough. I'm done dealing with this, et cetera, et cetera. And then a week later, they're all kissing the ring again. This is the same thing. They had a horrible midterm and they had to blame somebody. They blamed him. And I uh, look, they'll all be back. They'll all be back on his side. I won't doubt for a second that he will be the nominee. I just don't think DeSantis is going to beat that. So that's my initial reaction. As far as Garland, I said this to you and you had the same reaction. This to me simply says charges are coming. And when they come, Republicans will scream partisanship. They'll scream that this is a witch hunt. They'll scream that this is Democrats trying to take down the Republican candidate for president. And they'll scream for a special prosecutor. Republicans will say to delay it, they'll say, just bring on a special prosecutor then. If you guys think this is legit, bring on a special prosecutor. And I think this is Garland saying, or I, I don't I don't think Biden was involved in this, but clearly I, I assume Biden will feel the same way. This is Garland saying, to get ahead of all of that, we're just going to do this now. Um, he came out, I think he had the most boring name ever. I forgot it already. It's, it's just the most normal name ever. Um, Jake Smith, I think it was. He came out and he said, I'm not pausing anything. I'm not slowing anything down. I'm just going to keep pushing forward. I don't know, right? We're running out of time, John. It's only two years. So we'll see what happens. But I think I think charges are or indictments are imminent. I'll use the word imminent because Garland said they're not going to do nothing before the election. And I probably think they'll be fine around the holidays. They'll let him breathe. But I think charges are imminent is my guess. Yeah. And it's a funny thing. And and you, here's something I want you to think about. Now, don't get too giddy or excited. But I want you to think about something. Some of the language they used about all the people involved. And this could be another reason why there's a special prosecutor. It might not have anything to do with Trump. It might have everything to do with the new Republican majority in the House of Representatives. Think about it. In Garland's work, if he has gone ahead and done the work, and we know Andy Biggs and Matt Gates and Marjorie Taylor Greene and, and Boebert and some of their stuff, do you realize that the special prosecutor might not be because of Trump? It might be because they're going to make some indictments that change the majority in the House of Representatives. Now, this is a, I've not heard this anywhere. I've not read this anywhere. This is John looking into the camera and just fantasizing, right? There, there, I, there's no evidence. Wait, hold on. So you, you took that a different way. Are you saying because there might be low, lesser, there might be Republicans involved? I thought you were taking it the way that can 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 the House control Garland more than the special prosecutor? No, I'm not talking about the House controlling is the Democrats just lost the House of Representatives, right? Yeah. If Garland indicts current members of the House of Representatives who are in the new majority, and the Republicans lose the majority as a result, <laughs> it definitely needs to come from a special prosecutor. It can't come from Joe Biden's boss. Uh, no one said that. And you know what? I might even throw that speculation out on Twitter to see if any if it gets any yeah, traction. Yeah, I understand what you're saying. But that. when you think about it, didn't he talk about any and everybody? And, you know, a lot of us are saying, when is insert name here going to get indicted? When is insert name here there going to get indicted? And many of those people who were demanding or wanting or hoping indictments for are in are in leadership in what will potentially be the new Republican majority. So, again, this is not based on evidence. This is not based upon, I've not even read it, but it just popped into my head, and I think there might be some validity to it. Now, granted, it just popped into my head, and there might be some validity to it. It's probably not the best way to introduce anything controversial, but I'm going to ride with that. So then my question is, I understand what you're saying now. I thought you were taking it the other way of the sense that um, Republicans in the House threatened to impeach Garland. Um, can they do, can, do they have any powers over the special prosecutor? Do you know anything about that? None, none, none. That's also, no that's also an angle there. They have, they have no powers, but, but, but like I say, 
if, if they turn around and drop some indictments and included in those indictments are enough members of the Republican Party to flip the majority back to the Democrats, <laughs> it's going to be good that we have a special prosecutor. Like I say, it's just an hypothesis. I've not read anything. I've not heard anything. I'm just, it's wishful thinking on my part. But, I mean, don't you sort of feel, regardless of what Garland did today, haven't you always sort of felt like there might be a few members of that caucus who are gonna who are gonna uh, go through some things in the in the near future? Yeah, but I think you're you're forgiving the other side of the house the, the, or the other side of Congress. There, I'm looking at Lindsey Graham and Josh Hawley, who definitely were participating in that stuff too. Yes, I'm gonna I'm gonna I, I I don't know if I should like tag someone when I make that pronouncement or make that speculation, just just to see if anyone bites on it. <laughs> but yeah, but you know what? We're coming up on on we've surpassed an hour. So for now, it's this is John signing off. This is Fadi signing off. Thanks for joining us, guys. Bye.